This podcast was recorded Thursday, December 22nd at 10.38 a.m. Things may have changed by the time you hear this. Yeah, like your family won't talk politics over the holidays. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Unlikely, though. Not going to happen. Let's talk politics ourselves. This is Snollygoster, WOSU Public Media's weekly look at Ohio politics and all those Snollygosters or shrewd politicians who resolve to do more next year. Don't we all? I'm Steve Brown. And I'm Mike Thompson. Coming up in the podcast, our long-awaited Snollygoster of the Year Award. Who will it be? Quite a designation. For now, though, this is going to be a recap show. We're going to walk through some of our favorite stories from 2022. There are a lot of them. Some of them were the the gifts that kept on giving. Yeah, uh, giving too much. Yeah, giving a little too much. (laughs) So for now, we'll start with the campaign for U.S. Senate. The the nasty Republican primary started things off with uh, Mike Gibbons and Josh Mandel going toe-to-toe in the the biggest weenie face-off I've ever seen. You know, it's... It seems like it was longer than a year ago that that happened, that this nasty GOP primary for U.S. Senate with the candidates J.D. Vance. Here are the names. J.D. Vance, Josh Mandel, Mike Gibbons, Matt Dolan, Jane Timken. Remember them all up on the stage trying to out Trump each other with the exception of Matt Dolan. Jane Timken tried to out mom them all. It was it was ads, nonstop ads, Mm -hmm. guys with guns and trucks and football fields and throwing footballs. It's a real and, tough guy contest. Yeah, and it was it was expensive and the guy who didn't spend any money but got the Trump endorsement won the primary. Yeah, he his pack spent some money, but he did not have much money himself to spend. Um yeah, it certainly does seem like more than a year ago with uh, Gibbons and Mandel doing the again in that debate they were talking about you've never worked in the private sector well you've never served in Iraq and yeah. they're just they stood up pe- nose some to people nose. thought they were going to fight there was zero chance they were ever going to fight I, no it was just goofy yeah JD Vance who once suggested that Donald Trump was America's Hitler won Donald Trump's endorsement and the primary now he's a he's all aboard Team Trump at least yeah, for now yeah quite a turn for him we'll see what he does in the Senate in the in the coming days he obviously replaces Rob Portman who is going off to straddle the fence in the private sector somewhere to to jump on causes once they're settled in the private sector somewhere <laughs> I guess that's his sort of his thing when he was in office well the general election campaign you know I think a lot of people thought that it was going to be an easy win for the Republicans and it turns out it was a fairly easy win About six points right six if and I remember and a half correctly. points yeah but. Tim Ryan made it competitive. He raised he raised a lot of money. He got no help from the National Republicans. He ran as a Trump Democrat. He was throwing footballs and working the factory floor and saying, "I want jobs. I'm for workers first. Workers, strong workers." And I won't I won't say it almost won, but it certainly kept it competitive till the end. Not much of a different campaign than John Fetterman, who did win in in Pennsylvania, which is still a little bit more of a. a Democratic state than Ohio, but I mean, not all that much, really. It's 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 a it's a swing state. No, I mean JD Vance didn't raise, again did not raise much money on his own in this campaign. He was helped by the National Republican Party. Mitch McConnell's affiliated PAC bailed him out, kept him on the air with TV ads, and got him the Senate seat. Yeah, so um, pretty snolly gostery campaign by JD Vance, but um, and Tim Ryan. I mean, he, he yeah, it was. It was, it was yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. It was pretty shrewd that. Um, you know, he knew he couldn't he couldn't win with a with a Nancy Pelosi Democratic message. He had to go with a real conservative, moderate Democratic message, really almost an independent candidate message. 
And a lot of people thought it would pave the way for Democrats in future runs. I'm not sure that's the case because he lost. Yeah, it was. I just compared him to John Fetterman. Really not all that different than Sherrod Brown and the messaging he was trying to get across. But he was a little more pro-Trump than Brown is. Brown is not really pro-Trump, at least not vocally. He's not out there trying to court Trump voters. He's he's out there just making a pro-labor message. Just trade. He's he's with Trump on trade. That's about it. Uh, As we said, J.D. Vance won. He was part of a Republican sweep. Another major story in Ohio in 2022. Ohio is very much a red state now. We've talked repeatedly about how it's it might be purple or it might even be pink. It's it's red, at least in statewide elections. Yeah, Mike DeWine won by 26 points over Nan Whaley. And people talk about Ron DeSantis. He won by like 19, I think, in his governor's race. And somebody else won by like 15. I forget which governor, Republican governor candidate won. You know, if Mike DeWine was 10 years younger, he'd be on the, he'd be, they'd be talking about him for president. I'd, I'd, he has no desire to run for president, I don't believe. He's, I think he's still younger than Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump. This is probably the last election that Mike DeWine yeah. will be in, too. We would assume that he is retiring after he'll be approaching 80 years old. And Yeah, yeah no, I, but you, it's funny. He's a governor in Ohio, traditionally a swing state, easily wins by 26 points. The mm-hmm. last time that happened, John Kasich ran for president. But Mike DeWine, because probably because of his age and his career ambitions, is, is not being talked about. But it's, it's, I always I was struck by, yeah, he won by 19 points in Florida. Well, Mike DeWine won by 26. And Yeah, Ron DeSantis also faced a, f- a former governor, Charlie Crist. Yeah. And so I, I would say that DeSantis's win, probably a little more impressive. I, I I thought Charlie Crist was a better opponent than Nan Whaley, at least in, in terms yes, of name, name recognition. Name recognition. I think Nan Whaley's a very smart, very talented lawmaker, but she'd... Leading up to the election, half of the people polled hadn't heard of her. Again, came down to money. She had yeah. no money. The National Democrats didn't help her. They really didn't. Really, Ohio Democrats helped her a little, but they really weren't terribly enthusiastic. It really, Mike DeWine was going to be tough to beat no matter what. And he had built up a lot of goodwill during during the COVID pandemic. Yeah, we talk about the DeWine victory. It was part of a, a Republican sweep in the state. The GOP won all three races for the Ohio Supreme Court. They widened their majorities in the legislature, and they won every statewide position from governor all the way down to auditor. It was a, uh, a clock cleaning by Republicans in November. The only bright spot, the Democrats did pick up one congressional seat down in Cincinnati. Greg Landsman defeated Steve Shabbat in a mild upset that district was drawn differently so it made it more competitive still a sitting congressman had been there a long time lost to a a newcomer yeah democrats also did win three of the five ohio board of education seats that were up for a vote those are not statewide elections those are local seats but um republicans pretty quickly moved to try to limit the authority of the board of education that bill did not pass in the lame duck legislature but it's probably on the radar of majority republicans who will enter the year with even bigger majorities. Yes. And yeah. so, yeah, they're and really why do they have a bigger majority? Because of... The maps. Because of the, the redistricting fight. That the is maps. An, another oh. major story of 2022. How, how many times have we said the word map? Oh, my you God. I was hosting a podcast. You didn't think you would ever say the word map that much. Um, we elected members of Congress and members of the Ohio House and the Senate using illegal legislative districts. So that will give you... Think a, about that. A, that's a snapshot of where our, our political... <laughs> our political... Uh, society is right now. We are using illegal maps. Every member of the Ohio House and the Ohio Senate is serving, you could argue, illegally. It's come, the ones that are coming in because they were elected to an illegally the drawn district. Illegitimate lawmakers. I mean, that's a, that's a real stretch. But that is a stretch. The Supreme Court did rule five times that these maps were unconstitutional, and an Ohio Republican leader said, yeah, so? And they just 
used one of those maps thanks to interference from a federal judge. The Ohio Supreme Court did not have the nerve to hold lawmakers in contempt. They could have. They chose not to. So they went ahead and used these maps. They threw up their hands, and now they have a new chief justice who, like in a new Republican appointee from Governor DeWine, who will likely soon after the first of the year say, you know what, these maps are fine. Let's, let's use them for another three years. Yeah, it's really gross and sad that um, we cannot come to an agreement on this. It, it, voters overwhelmingly approved limitations to gerrymandering. And Republicans can say whatever they want. And Democrats are a flawed party, too, so I I don't want to sound too partisan here. But it was very obvious that voters overwhelmingly wanted to limit gerrymandering. And that is not what Republicans are doing. They're thumbing their nose at this law. They're thumbing their nose at the Ohio Supreme Court. And we had an election with unconstitutional maps. Just look at Michigan. They put an independent commission in to draw the maps. For the first time in 30 years, Republicans, which did have a supermajority in Michigan, had lost the legislature. And now it's more aligned with the voting uh, trends in Michigan and in New York, where Democrats were drawing the lines. And those maps were even worse than Ohio's in that 80 percent of the maps favored Democrats. Now, whatever you want to say about New York state. It's not 80 percent Democrat. Once you get outside of New York City, yeah. it's very and Illinois is the same way. It, it turns Bo- pretty red. Both parties do this and there should be great limits on it. It should not be allowed to happen. Ohio is a red state, but it is not three quarters Republican. Yeah. It is about 56, 44 in statewide elections over the past decade. But in New York, that's what the map should look like. In New York, the Supreme Court there said these maps are illegal and they had them redrawn and the Republicans did better than they would have had the original maps been held in place. Yeah, that system worked, evidently. It did not happen in Ohio. And I would assume that um, the Ohio League of Women Voters and other voting rights advocates are going to go back to the ballot and try to do something stronger that the Republican-controlled legislature can't just ignore. Turning now to another story that keeps on giving the nuclear bailout scandal. It has been more than a year now. This broke well before 2022, but lots of developments. Um, no, not nothing major, really. I guess no new indictments. Larry Householder's trial is set to begin January 20th, along with uh, former Snollygoster guest Matt Borges. Yeah, co-cons- also on trial. Co-conspirator in that case. You know, there really has not much. Not much has happened in this case, yeah, at you're least right. publicly. I guess, I guess it's the biggest news is that it's still lingering. Yeah, and the Democrats could not take advantage of it in the campaign. They just they just couldn't do it. They, um, they couldn't link it to Governor DeWine. They couldn't link it to the Republican legislature. It just never caught fire in the campaign. Now the trial starts next month. We'll see if anything new comes out. Lots of rumors floating around the statehouse as to what federal investigators are up to, but there has been really no new indictments, no new guilty pleas. You have to figure that Sam Randazzo at some point will be charged. The former Public Utilities Commission chairman. Who First Energy admits they bribed. So how can you bribe someone and not charge the person who was allegedly bribed? So you have to figure that he is going to be charged at some point, but maybe not. And... The trial will be the trial is supposed to last, I think, two months. It's federal courts. So we won't be able to see any of it, of course, because there's can't no hear cameras. it either. No, and so we'll have to rely on print reporters to let us know what's going on there. We often joke that really powerful political machines like Republicans in the legislature or like Democrats here in Columbus and other cities that those 
machines will only be broken up if there's a major scandal. Republicans have so far very much survived this. And you're, you're right that more will come out during the trial. But it's remarkable how little it has affected Republicans' control of Ohio, considering what happened. Yeah, I mean... I mean the House Speaker was indicted on bribing $60 million. And the Speaker before him left after federal agents raided his house. Now, he was never charged. Cliff in, in connection with the payday lending bill that passed this, the in the legislature. The word is that the investigators are still looking into that case, the payday lending legislation, obviously the nuclear bailout legislation, and sports betting has come around is, is, is something that the investigators may be looking at, how that came about and how that was put into law here. We'll certainly learn more in the the coming next two to three months. Again, Larry Household. Or maybe we won't. Yeah, who knows? I mean, we'll, we'll We've been see. Waiting for new developments we'll, for two years. We'll and, presumably and, learn something. I would hope in an eight week long federal trial. But again, that expected to begin January twentieth. Another uh, major story that did break in Ohio and nationwide in the month of June uh, was the overturning of Roe versus Wade. When that happened, Ohio immediately put into effect the so-called heartbeat law, which bans abortions after the detection of fetal cardiac activity. That's about six weeks into a pregnancy. Yeah, and then almost immediately, a 10-year-old rape victim traveled to Indiana to get an abortion. She says because of this new law, it made headlines nationally. It spooked a lot of Republicans into, hold on, maybe we ought to tap the brakes on making strict bans on abortion and the big issue there was, should there be an exception for rape or incest, Ohio's law, which is now on hold because of a judge's ruling, mm-hmm. does not include an exception for rape or incest. Yeah, it did not stop Dave Yost from issuing some uh, some some comments that really did not make him look good in the public light about about this, this rape survivor. Yeah, he didn't believe the story. Yeah, he didn't believe the story. And then he tried to backtrack and just said he didn't believe the reporter. He, um, he was speaking out of both sides of his mouth. That was more of just a, a PR gaffe. It didn't really affect the case at all but it was a big part of this yeah he was following the fox news hosts line well does does this person exist did she really go to indiana it sounds kind of suspicious to me and then he bought into it probably got caught up in all that as you mentioned the so-called heartbeat law is on hold per a judge's ruling in hamilton county that means abortions in ohio right now are legal up to about 22 weeks we did think or at least we thought that it could happen, that Republicans would address abortion in the lame duck legislative session, and they did not. They stayed away from it. Surprising, but not surprising. I think you saw, you know, the referendum in other states like Kentucky and Kansas and Montana, where voters seem to show support for abortion rights. Certainly in Kansas, they did. And certainly in Kentucky, they did. Montana was a little more complicated. I think that they're going, they're taking a slower approach. They they will try to get this heartbeat law, so-called, uh, put into place. But it's not as easy to enact your uh, anti-abortion stance into law as it was to just bark at the Supreme Court for 40 years. Yeah. Like we said, it's the, the dog who's chasing the car and the dog finally caught the car. And now they're like, oh, what what do I do? Yeah. You know, it's like when the backup quarterback has to finally play and he ends up not being that good. Uh, Republicans are now on defense where they had been on offense for years. So we'll see what happens in the coming year. We did see that the legislature tried but ultimately failed to raise the threshold to pass constitutional amendments up to 60 percent in the lame duck, lame duck legislature. That was almost certainly targeted right at abortion. We heard Republican Brian Stewart say that it, it was aimed at abortion, um, at least in part. So we'll see what happens uh, yeah, going into the new year with abortion. Two groups are planning ballot issues. One is a group of physicians 
They say they want to get on the ballot this coming November, November of 23. Another uh, group, a coalition of a lot of abortion providers and their allies like the ACLU and Planned Parenthood and uh, uh, Pro-Choice Ohio, they are not sure when they want to get on the ballot, whether it's 23 or 24. Mm-hmm. Like a lot depends on what lawmakers do here with this 60 percent threshold. It's, it's going to definitely come back in the first few weeks of the new session in January. Yeah, they have, they'll have bigger majorities. And they'll have a new Speaker of the House. Mm-hmm. who is more conservative than the current Speaker of the House. This gets us to our predictions for 2023. Um, <laughs> what, what, what are, what are going to be the biggest stories? The biggest stories of 2023, I think the economy. I think, you know, it's always the economy, stupid, as yeah, James of- Carville said. But, you know, the, the, we're seeing layoffs now in some organizations. It's always media and marketing folks who get laid off first when the economy slows down, and you're seeing that if it, I think that'll continue at least for the first half of the year. That likely will be the big overarching story. Going into 2023, we could also see a marijuana ballot yes. initiative. There are activists actively trying to do that. No, we will see that, I believe, because remember they, they were trying to get on the ballot in 22, and it was through an initiated statute. So this is not a constitutional amendment. But they had, they collected, I forget how many thousand, 100,000 signatures. Like They collected a lot of signatures, and they wanted to put it in front of lawmakers. And there was a dispute as to when they would put it in front of lawmakers to get it on the ballot in 22. And they came to an agreement, okay, we're not going to put it before lawmakers to get it on the ballot in 22, but we promised to put it before lawmakers in early 23. They then have four months to pass it as is. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, then they go back out again and collect more signatures to get it on the ballot in November of 23. So my guess is, my prediction is, something will happen with recreational marijuana. Either lawmakers will strike a deal with marijuana supporters, and frankly, the folks who are cultivating and selling marijuana, the money behind the issue, to have a state-regulated recreational marijuana program similar to what they did with medical marijuana, or they'll do nothing, and this group will get the signatures and put it on the ballot in November. And it'll matter a lot if the threshold is 50 or 60%. Not for this one. No. This it, won't, is, it won't affect this because no, this, this is the just process initiated started. statute. Yeah. This is not a constitutional amendment. This is just I a see. state law. Now, lawmakers can yep. immediately reverse it if they want to. They tend not to do that if, if the voters say, we want this law. That, that kind of goes against. This yeah. is not a local story, but what we could see in 2023, a criminal trial of Donald Trump. Not a trial. I mean, an indictment. You know, the federal court sure. work. It'll take decades but, I mean, to imagine, get a trial. Imagine if Donald Trump is indicted. How big of a political story would that be? Yeah. I, uh, how, de- would, how divisive of a story would yes, that be? That would, it would be huge. It would be huge. And I, I honestly, yeah. I, I, I don't see it happening. Unless there's something, a real... Yeah. I mean, it's the evidence is pretty... pretty overwhelming that he played an active role in trying to overturn the election in 2020, uh, even before January 6th, but to indict a person running for president, a former president, you probably need a little more than that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, ever, no one should be above the law. And if he is, it, the, he should be subject to the same burden of, of proof as anybody else. But it would not be good for the health of our country. You could say um, it would be... Um, his comeuppance, it, he deserves whatever, to be punished for whatever he did. I'm not saying yeah. that he doesn't deserve anything. I don't know. I'm not going to be the decider on that. But I'm just saying that would be a, a toxic, really, really hyper-partisan 
era for American if he if he was on criminal trial. It goes back to 1974, 75. Forget exactly when the pardon came, when Gerald Ford pardoned Richard Nixon. Yeah, he said that we're not going to pursue charges against him, even though he broke the law, because it would be very divisive yeah. for the country. Now, there, the, some there, argue that say because they didn't charge him, that led to right abuses by other presidents down the road. That you know we're not going. I'm never going to face. There any would be a lot of pressure. If he is indicted, there would be a lot of pressure to move forward. Uh, again, we have no idea. This is all speculation. But we're just yeah. we're making some predictions for 2023. There would be a lot of pressure to hold him to the same standard. But who knows what would happen? Turning now to our Snelly Goster of the Week Award. That's where uh, we honor the shrewdest politician or political move of the week. And since this is our last show of 2022, we want to award our Snelly Goster of the Year. Yeah, we had a lot of nominees, a lot of possibilities. Tim Ryan for trying to win over Trump supporters in his race for Senate. He got a lot of them, but not nearly enough. Yeah, almost like how many times he won Snollygoster of the Week. He won four times this year, but ultimately came in second for the most wins. And that that seems to be a pattern for Ryan coming in second. (laughs) Poor Tim Ryan. wonder what he's going to do next in 2023. Uh, Ohio Republicans uh, were a nominee for thumbing their nose five times at the Ohio Supreme Court and basically ignoring their orders to draw legislative maps that reflect Ohio's partisan breakdown. Ohio Republican lawmakers came in third for their amount of, quote, wins or honorees, if if you want to look at it that way, with three weeks of the shrewdest political moves. Yeah, and uh, 38 different groups or... We went back. Our, our intern, Katie Genius, went back and, and tallied all of our Snollygoster mm-hmm. of the Week awards. And 38 different people or groups won our Snollygoster of the Week award this year. And no one won more times than Governor DeWine. The shrewd, the shrewd grandfatherly, <laughs> <laughs> the shrewd grandfatherly governor for refusing to debate opponents in his run for re-election to using his granddaughter's cross-country meet to That's avoid going to a Trump rally. <laughs> that really was good. Uh, Mike DeWine, you are our 20. 2022 Snolly of the Year. Yes, because he won six times this year, and it just comes down to the numbers. So again, thanks to uh, Katie for adding up those numbers. That will do it for this week's edition of Snolly uh, As you can tell, we will be taking off next week so we can use the old dad joke. I'll see you next year. Yes, we'll see you next year. Be safe out there this weekend. If you choose to celebrate this holiday season, we will see you in 2023. Whenever you're listening, please be sure to leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. And just tell your friends about us. For our student producer, Katie Genius, our audio producer, Eric French, and our digital producer, Michael DeBonis, I'm Mike Thompson. And I'm Steve Brown for Snollygoster from WOSU Public Media.